All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to the DFO Rundown Podcast with Frank Saravalli and Jason Greger on dailyfaceoff.com. Welcome to episode 17 of the Daily Faceoff Rundown. Jason Greger along with Frank Saravalli. We have two special guests. We're going to get right into it, of course. This will be the most exciting week, hectic week for National Hockey League fans. The trade deadline is exactly one week away. And of course, we have Darren Dreger and Pierre Lebrun. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Whenever I'm wearing Hartford Whalers gear, I'm in a good spirit. So there yeah, you go. I'm a huge Whaler fan. I grew up a Whale fan. How'd you get that coat, man? That's That looks legit. So uh, both Dregs and Frank w- uh, would have been there. They don't remember this. But during the last lockout, 2012, I guess, um, we, we weren't allowed inside the NHL offices for most of that lockout. We were out in the frozen sidewalk. And uh, one day I was just so underdressed and it was a frigid winter day in new york i went into the nhl store <laughs> and i bought the whalers jacket because it's the only jacket i could see in there and of course i wouldn't buy something of a team that's currently in the league and uh, i just bought it to wear underneath my uh my suit so that i had a little more warmth during the 2012 lockout so there you go it, it's like 16 degrees celsius <laughs> in the greater toronto area right now and look at I, I don't care that pierre is a card carrying Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. I understand all that. He's a super fan, but you got to have a Dallas cap. Like it's, it's 16 degrees Celsius. You're wearing like a toque. Bad hair. I, I need a haircut so badly. Like right now I got the hockey mullet coming behind here. You know how much gel I use just to get on TSN right now? It's, it's, it should be illegal. 
honest to goodness. I need a haircut, but unless I'm going to let my wife go for it for the first time in her life, I don't know what I'm going to do. There's an option. Mr. Gregor, you would look good in the Jason Gregor cut, Pierre. That's your next step in life, right? I mean, listen, my forehead's getting bigger and bigger. I'm not going to lie. Uh, so I'm <laughs> halfway the there. Wood. Yeah, I'm halfway there, but I'll probably wait about five years before that one. Looks good, though, on Jason. No question. Crisp. It's only been 20 years. That's why I started young. It was perfect. The, the dream ended quick for this guy, so I was all right, though. <laughs> hey, let's hey, let's get into uh, some, some talk, because I know you guys are super busy. Um, the, the latest... Uh, on Vancouver, obviously this is a situation like it's, it's, is it how different do you guys think it is from Dallas early in the year other than being a different strain? Yeah. Well, and, and that's a significant difference, right? Um, you know, the, the symptoms that some of these players and, and personnel and family members have had to deal with, with the Brazilian variant have been extreme um, and unrelated to some degree to, to COVID-19 in general, at least what we're accustomed to hearing about when you talk about symptoms and, and all of those things. Um, you know, we know that the virus is incredibly contagious, but in this case, this variant has been super contagious and it literally just blitzed the Vancouver Canucks. So, you know, there can be issues of containment and questions. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? At the end of the day, when this thing arrived, it absolutely swept through that organization. It's starting to trickle now. At least that's the way it seems. So the recovery can begin. But, man, what a devastating situation for this club. Yeah, and that's, you know, every time we start with this, I there's more than hockey at play here. And I worry about the players' families, uh, you know, because as a player, you bring this home inadvertently at the start of it. I worry about the coaches and their families. Um, you know, it's it's this is the real thing. You know, on the hockey side, um, I think this was yet another wake-up call for everyone in the league. And that's why the memo went out over the weekend from NHL Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly, just using this as an unfortunate reminder, because I think the league had started to see a bit of slippage from different situations around the league as far as respecting the protocols. And so the memo went out just to remind people, hey, you know, we're still in the pandemic. Let's get through this season here. But... I know a lot of people were wondering, you know, why does it even make sense to have the Canucks come back and play? And I understand that in the emotion of the moment. But the reality is the Canucks do want to come back and play once they're through this and once everyone is safe. So the league has, you know, shared with them some dates that might make sense if they can get through this. And they are going to try and play 56 games, uh, which means, though, that, you know, right now we have games going up to May 11th in that so-called buffer week that Frank and Dregs and I have talked about all year they are going to schedule games right up to, I think, to May 14th at the very least to try and, you know, uh, flesh out the uh, the North Division at the end there. There's two things that are crazy to me. One is this is a team that has is under strict protocol that's been tested every day and some days more than once a day. And you see how this variant has rippled through the entire team. It's, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Think about what society in general is like for people that aren't getting tested, that don't even know they're carrying it, that are just passing it along in super spreader events. Like that's what blows my mind. And the other part is I just don't know how we can get to 56 games for the Canucks. Like, are we looking at two weeks from now before they could potentially start playing again? Right. I, I think at a certain point, the league is going to have to face this head on and say, look, we're going to schedule the games that have playoff implications, get those in first. And yeah, then right. 
we'll take the rest of it as, you know, as much as we can squeeze in, we will. But if we need to go to points percentage for the teams that are outside the playoff mix, I think that's the only way that makes sense at this point. Well, and I think the next five to seven days are, are going to be important for both the Vancouver Canucks and, and from a league perspective as well. Uh, in dealing with some of the sources in Vancouver and covering this story over the weekend. Um, I mean, talking to guys there, they can't imagine having to play hockey again in the next 14 days, right? right. And so the NHL is sensitive to that. And that's why I use that window of five to seven days because, you know, the planning has to move on and you have to give the benefit of the doubt and assume that the Vancouver Canucks are going to be able to, to play the 56, even though logistically it seems like a nightmare. Uh, but the problem that the league has is they can talk about it internally, but nobody in Vancouver really wants to hear it, right? At least yeah. not for another week. I mean, there was an additional test from a player standpoint come in on, on Sunday night. So we're not certain that this club is, is, is done. I mean, it feels like it's starting to trickle out, but there's no guarantee that it can hit them even harder, uh, be it organizationally or just as importantly, is uh, you know their families and uh, extended families, and and I and they have players from Utica go through it as well. On top of it all, which seems un- unbelievable to think about, because obviously some of those Utica players, I think, are going to be needed uh, whenever the Canucks come back and try to ice a team. But one thing that I thought was a, a bit interesting, because I keep thinking, because we're used to hockey being so different than basketball in terms of how they schedule playoffs and so on. Hockey always waits for a clean start to every round and for the regular season to be over. But one thing that we learned from the league over the weekend is that it, it is possible that the North division can keep playing out that week of May 10th and the U S division start their playoffs without the North division if, if, if they have to. Yeah. So that, yeah. that it just tells you how unique the season is that the NHL would, would be thinking that might be, you know, a way to get around all this. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, Pierre. A lot of hockey fans might say it's unfair. The NBA has done it for years and people haven't uh, yelled and screamed that it was unfair. So I think that's an option to look at. Uh, we're we're going to go uh, west to east uh, in Canada and then end uh, going through the U.S. So let's go to Calgary Flames. And, you know, the, I know they're not officially eliminated, but they're eliminated from the playoff race. No question, guys. So uh, yeah. uh, who do you see, if any, the uh, Flames potentially moving at the deadline? Well, I think you can start with the obvious, and the obvious seems to be Sam Bennett. I mean, we've talked about Sam Bennett potentially being traded for the last three years at or around the trade deadline, and this year was amplified earlier in the season. You know, did he request an official trade? Didn't he? All of those things. Um, beyond that, how do you move some of those contracts, given the way that these guys are playing in a flat cap environment, you know, again, on the clock now until April 12th? Uh, and you know, if you're the ownership of the Calgary Flames, are you entrusting the management group that exists there to say, okay, well, if there's a fit for Sean Monaghan, let's, let's make that move right now. You might as well keep your powder dry and do a full evaluation at the end of the season. I'm not saying that Brad Trilliving, you know, isn't going to move some parts. You know, he might. Um, my sense doing the, the Leafs and the Flames game on the weekend and again on Monday uh, is that it's real quiet on the trade front around Calgary. And that borderline shocks me. How can it be, given the way that this team has played to this point? So it's either a determination by clubs around the NHL that they don't like the Flames players, uh, or they realize that you're not getting Goudreau, you're not getting Monaghan, you're definitely not getting Matthew Kachuk, any of those bigger pieces in season. 
So you might as well wait until the off season. I, I think that that's where you're going to see the most meaningful change. You know, does it start in the front office with management and drift then deeper into the core of that team? So it may not be as busy a deadline in Calgary as some are anticipating. Yeah, I mean, David Riddich might be an interesting piece for a, for a contender looking at some insurances goal, uh, you know, and goal as a sort of 1A, 1B situation. If you believe in the best of him, he's a pending UFA. So unless the Flames thought they were bringing him back, um, you know, he's he's the, probably the most obvious piece to move before Monday. But I'm, I'm totally with Dregs. And I've been saying this for a couple of years. Frank knows this, that as much as we want the Trade Center to be fun and, and to have fireworks – the salary cap has forced the off season to actually become the prime trading season when it comes to big hockey deals, you know, go all the way back to, you know, Taylor Hall, uh, go back to the Weber for Subban, all, all the fireworks deals because of the stress of the cap have happened in the off season over the last decade plus. And I, I suspect this off season is going to be explosive actually around the NHL with the pressure of the Seattle expansion draft, forcing a lot of interesting decisions. I just don't know that we're going to see a big hockey deal before Monday. I, I think a lot of it will be your typical rentals or maybe players with a, a year and a half left trying to fit it into a flat cap before Monday. But, but I really feel the bigger deals are, are coming in July. For all the reasons that you guys mentioned, I think you're right that the chances are minimal that there's a significant deal from Calgary. The one guy and, and Dreg's hit on him is Sean Monahan that I just think that percentage is ticked up just a little bit. I think teams are curious about the ability to buy low as his production is down. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, the contract, when he's producing and he's at his best, that's a very, very reasonable contract around the league that's somewhat easy to fit in given where he is on the cap. So, um, you know, I think he's the one guy that has some smaller, larger percentage than the rest. Oh, he's the guy, honestly, if you could buy now, you're doing yourself a favor. He actually has as many goals as Nathan McKinnon since they got drafted. Now, I know Nathan McKinnon's a better player, but Monaghan's been a really good goal scorer, 15th most goals in the league since he's come into play. And he's having a really terrible year with only seven goals so far this season. And if, if the Flames overreact, I think this would be a time for a team to take advantage of it because if there's a guy I'm betting on scoring 20-plus goals again next year, it'd be Sean Monaghan. Yeah, but like Frank said, you know, a chance to buy low on him. Why are Cal why would Calgary sell low on him right now? Yeah. It, you know, I mean, unless the, the, there's some kind of panic settling into Calgary, I, I wait till the offseason to figure out all of this, all the soul-searching, roster-rattling decisions I think happen in the offseason, mostly for Calgary. The orders, everybody knows they need a second pair left defenseman. They'd like to get a second-line left winger. Probably not going to be able to get either one necessarily, um, you know, maybe they upgrade uh, to have Luke Glendening. Frank's brought him up before on the pod for Gaetan Haas. Do you guys hear any other names potentially connected to the orders? Uh, I don't, um, but there, there is merit to the Glendening consideration. Uh, it's, it's all depending on, on the price. Right now, I mean, Kenny's playing the role of the wily old veteran general manager here, right? I mean, general managers with pieces to sell are still asking for a premium. And we know the cap situation for the Oilers. You know, if there's a money deal, dollar in, dollar out, the old cliche, then that has to be considered. I don't think Kenny starts making legit calls of interest where he's willing to make a move until the 9th, 10th, maybe even the 11th. And, and the only reason is, is exactly what I just said. Why pay a premium? 
So you either do next to nothing if the prices don't come down or you get in real late. And if Glenn Denning makes sense for a draft pick, then maybe you consider that or you move a piece just to make the money work. But I don't get the sense that Kenny is going to be super active. No, I totally agree, Dregs. I think it goes back to what happened at the deadline, you know, 15 months ago where Ken Holland was pretty active and, you know, yeah. gave up, I think, the two seconds, was it, for a, a Tennessee and, and a few yeah. other draft picks. And and I get it. In the moment, the Oilers were at a chance of finishing first in their division, which they did. And I think there was some excitement about what that meant, and, and he wanted to add to that. But because of those draft picks that were spent a year ago, I think he's going to be a lot more careful this time around, as Drake says. I, I think this is always angled up to a, a Sunday or Monday soft deal if it's there for a bottom six board. You know, essentially only has a fourth round pick to spend in this year's draft, right? Uh, as an asset, unless you go into 22. And I think that's where this is angling. You know, whether it's Glenn Denning or another player like him, a rental bottom six forward that has a little depth there. That's what I see coming for Edmonton. Well, you, you mentioned Wiley, veteran general manager. I mean, it makes sense the way that he's game planning this out because it's quickly becoming a buyer's market. There's mm-hmm. a number of pieces out there that the prices have been high on, but we're talking about maybe six, seven, at the most eight teams that are really, you'd consider buyers at this point. And so the longer you wait, theoretically the prices have to come down or else these teams like a Detroit are going to be stuck holding the bag with guys that they know they're not resigning. So they're going to have to take whatever they can get with regards to a guy like Glenn Denning. And I think the other part about Glenn Denning and the Oilers is I think they would potentially have interest in an extension if they were to bring him in. And so he'd be a guy to watch moving forward. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, could they make that work on a two or three year deal, something like that, that can justify you know, spending those assets. And, and that's why I, I agree. I think it's a buyer's market. And it's why even though Kevin Adams and Buffalo got hammered for the most part for getting very little from Montreal for Eric Stahl a couple of weeks ago, I think you read the market correctly. Eric Stahl, if he's still a Buffalo Sabre right now, might go for less than what the Habs paid between now and Monday, in my mind. And it's not an indictment of Eric Stahl. I think it's an excellent pickup by the Montreal Canadiens. It's just a reflection of the market right now uh so i think you could have got eric stall for a fourth round pick had he gone to monday mm-hmm. instead he went for a third and a fifth because he was dealt early that makes sense now i think there's one team well there's two teams in canada most people feel are definitely going to be active and uh one of them is the winnipeg jets and you know you, it's pretty easy to to note what they need they need another defenseman um Frank, uh, you've talked about David Savard a lot. Um, Columbus had a ridiculously awful road trip. They've pretty much punched themselves out of the playoff race now. So does the David Savard talk heat up? And is he the one that makes the most sense for you to go to the Jets? He does for me. I mean, when I look at the Jets and how they play stylistically, they need a a shutoff valve, someone that can break up the cycle. You know, sometimes the, the Jets you know, their own worst enemy is the amount of time that they spend in their own defensive end. How can they find a way to, to move the puck up the ice and, and get it in the hands of their super talented forwards? Um, so stylistically, he makes sense. You know, then there's the question is, you know, and, I, and I've been talking to some, some people around the league about this, is, is David Savard, is he being overrated at this point? Um, you know, where does he fit in your top four? I think he's still legitimately right there in the top four conversation. Uh, and then what's the price? Because he's another guy that we know Columbus isn't bringing back. There have been zero extension talks to this point. 
Um, and it seems like he's a guy that wants to be on the move. So how can they find a way to make that happen? And how many other teams would be in the mix for Savard services? So again, if you're Kevin Shovel day off and you're, you're playing this out on your big board, how many other teams are in that mix? Yeah. And that's going to be interesting to see. My sense is, and I'm not suggesting that the Winnipeg Jets won't try and acquire David Savard. Uh, he's down on their list. He's down on their list. Uh, but that list can adjust very quickly if you get to, you know, again, the, the 10th or 11th of April and you don't have any pieces, you know, and you've got nothing legit in play. It helps that they've got Bullyu's money on LTI now. That gives them a little bit more financial flexibility. Uh, but when I look at the crop, of course, Savard has to be in that. Um, you know, is there any way Shoveldayoff could talk Bob Murray out of Manson? I was going to say him too, Driggs, yeah. Um, I'm going to say probably not, but you can't be sure of that. Uh, Alexiak, his name comes up. I don't know that he makes them considerably better. Maybe he adds depth on that blue line. Uh, Zadorov is another name that I, I think that the Jets have, have kicked some tires on. I don't think that there's any doubt that Shoveldayoff is going to add a piece. You know, it's just how do we rate which piece is the best fit and which piece is he willing to pony up and give some assets? Because even through the whole Matthias Ekholm thing, you know, when, when it was highly speculated that the Preds were trying to trade him or were willing to trade him, I mean, the ask at Winnipeg on any of the top defense is a first-round pick and Hanola and then something else. The Jets do not want to part with Hanola. They, they don't. So maybe that changes between now and the 12th, but I doubt it. So they may settle for something lower. Yeah, I suspect they would have done a first in Sammy Niku uh, drags at the time, but now the uh, Predators have won so many games that I think the Echo situation is going to wait till the offseason in all probability. You mentioned all, a lot of the guys that make sense, Drake's for Winnipeg because they have a common trait, which is that they're physical blue liners. And, and I think that's sort of the type of player. They don't need another puck mover in Winnipeg. They need someone to clear the crease <laughs> and uh, make life more uncomfortable for, for offensive teams because the Jets do spend too much time in their zone. And uh, I interviewed Kevin Shovelayoff last week for a piece in the Athletic, and he didn't hide that's their area. You know, every team has an area and that's the Jets area on defense. You know, Derek Forbert's a, been a great story, plays 21 minutes uh, a game. I don't know that I would have seen that coming based on his play in L.A., but I think it also underlines that they're asking a lot of guys to, to do things they haven't done before in that back end. So I definitely feel that whether it's, you know, Manson to me would be my top pick, but I don't think Anaheim wants to move him. So they may have to, and he's got a no trade with teams on it. Unfortunately for Winnipeg, normally Winnipeg populates a lot of these no-trade lists with most players. Oh, yeah. uh, that's an excellent point. And uh, it, I, I think we'd be surprised and we're probably never going to get this information out of the Jets, but the number of players, right. not just now, but historically, that have said, yeah, thanks for the interest, but I'm not going to Winnipeg, is more than people would expect. What about the Ottawa Senators, guys? They're obviously not making the playoffs. They've got three veteran defensemen, and we see teams every year that add a veteran defenseman, and, and some of them turn out to to really help a team, and, and others not so much. Uh, you know, you've got Gabranson, you've got Riley. I guess you got Anisimov and Zingle. Uh, are they dumping any, or uh, is there interest for any of the Sens' potential UFAs? 
Um, yeah, there'd be interest. Like I, I, I do a lot of Ottawa Senators games regionally. Uh, I think Mike Riley's an effective player. I, I yeah, do. Uh, you know, I, he's a third pairing guy. If uh, you've got a decent defense, I mean, if you run any injury problems, can he play in your top four? Yeah, he probably can on a short term. Um, but he's got a little bit of grit to him. You know, he's smart, all those things. So I think that there'll be a fair bit of attention given to him. The other guys, it starts to drop off in a hurry. And I don't think that there, in fact, I, I know there's very little interest up front in Ryan Dezingle, which surprises me a little bit, right? I was I just going to say, why has there been no interest in Ryan Dezingle? Because he only scores in Ottawa, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get it. But I mean, if that's the sample size, then it's not a bad one. Because as soon as he arrived in, in Ottawa, he started scoring again. And you know, again, when you're, you're looking at your bottom six, if you can play him situationally, he's got speed. Um, he's been around the game for a while now, so it's not inexperienced. It's just, I, I was surprised to learn that there's virtually no interest in Ryan Dezingle, but that can change with a phone call pretty quick. And here's an interesting debate, I think, for Pierre Dorian, the GM of the Senators, as he gets to Monday. Because I, I, you know, I do think it's quiet on a number of fronts. And he's a team that's had a lot of draft picks for the last few years. I mean, that there's a team with talent coming out of, you know, where, and how many more draft picks do they need right now? But on the other hand, you know, if he gets offered a fifth round pick for Mike Riley, let's say on Monday, and he's probably like, ah, why, why am I doing that? I'm also just keep Mike Riley around so that I'm not putting younger players in a role they're not ready for, for the rest of the year that, you know, there is some merit in keeping some UFAs, even though you're not making the playoffs. But is a fifth round pick suddenly more valuable this year than ever because we don't because the draft is going to be s such a dart throwing contest in some rounds this year with the lack of play at the junior ranks and 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 the, some of the other ranks? I don't know. Like I, I'm not saying I know that I'm the last guy to know anything about the draft, but I'm wondering if what you used to scoff at as too low a pick for a rental, yeah. If you're like, you know what, who knows what we can get with a fifth round pick this year. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to uh, talking to some scouts that, uh, you know, the scouts are obviously confident, but th they feel there could be a, a wide range of how people evaluate players this year, just because there's so few looks. I uh, wanted to throw, I want to throw one more name out there from the Ottawa perspective guy. I wonder a little bit about is Chris Tierney. There hasn't been a lot of talk about him. He's got another guy that has one more year on his deal. So he's going to be in a position where you'd have to protect him, which might make the deal tougher to make. But I, I think there would be some interest in him as sort of a quintessential middle six guy. Mm -hmm. Sort of a Goudreau pickup. Yeah. And I, you know, I, DJ Smith has seen enough of Chris Turney that there shouldn't be any surprises, but I think that Chris Turney is one of those players where the coach hasn't quite figured him out. Right. Like, he doesn't get consistent enough game out of Chris Turney. So some nights he's playing in the bottom six, other nights he's playing in the top six, you know, on occasion, he gets some power play time. They like him as a penalty killer and all that. I, you're right, Frank. I, I think Chris Turney could be an interesting name to pay attention to. Um, not just because of, of what he can provide in terms of depth to another team, but more along the lines of he seems to be, in, in the grouping of misfits when I, when I look at, at the Ottawa Senators and how DJ Smith may view individual players. One last thing on Ottawa, if you, if you don't mind, uh, Jason, is that I think when the season started, I think Pierre Dorian probably looked at the landscape and said, I might be the only seller within my own division if the quarantine stays at 14 days. So two things have happened. One, the quarantine is now seven days, which took some leverage away from being a Canadian-only seller. But two... 
he, he might have competition from Calgary and Vancouver now as far as sellers in his own division. So that's kind of hurt, you know, because I think deep down, maybe if you're Ottawa a month ago, you might have thought maybe I'll get a call from the Leafs or whatever on the zingle on the at the 11th hour at the Leafs struck out on 10 other names. I don't even know if that's there anymore or not, because now you've got three Canadian teams probably knowing they're out. The other thing Otto has to look at is you always trade your UFAs and you talk about it. So you get fourth and fifth round picks that won't help you for another five years. You're just right. going in an endless cycle of getting rid of players and you got to bring yeah. in new guys and hopefully they fit next year. And it's, it's a lot of change, but it doesn't necessarily need to a lot of new results. So I do wonder if they like some of their veteran UFAs, just try to resign them for uh, bargain deals on a, on a one-year deal and move forward. Now the, uh, the Maple Leafs, everybody's been talking about them. They've been a good team. Um, you know, they, they've really improved their defensive play this year. They don't give up a ton. Uh, they've got uh, basically, though, the uh, the Ferris wheel of goaltenders right now. And uh, where it stops, is it Freddie Anderson? Can he be healthy? <laughs> you know, Jack Campbell, can he stay healthy? Heck, Hutchinson, when he plays, he plays well. Um, is goalie questions now suddenly, you know, something that Kyle Dubas is going to have to look at, guys? Or do you th- And is there a, a position and a player that you see as a good fit or your hearing potentially will land in Toronto, Frank? Yeah, the goaltending story for me is overblown. Uh, I don't think that it's an area of, of need or concern. Now, that could change very quickly if, if all of a sudden Freddie Anderson goes sideways and he's, he's not going to be able to return. That's not our expectation. Our expectation is that they're just managing through this so that he gets as close to 100% health, so they've got that one-two punch. But then you've got the same questions around Jack Campbell. You know, Sheldon Keefe is obviously protecting Jack Campbell. Uh, He knew he was going to start Hutchinson in one of the two back-to-backs against the Calgary Flames. So he opts to start Hutchinson on Sunday to give Jack Campbell the extra complete day off. He didn't even back up, which was curious. And it took me back at least to Friday's game against Winnipeg, where uh, Jack Campbell made a stretching save on Kyle Connor. And he was slow to get up after that play. But... He seemed okay post-game, but then Kyle, after the Flames game Sunday night, or uh, Sheldon, I should say, talked about, you know, well, we got to see with Jack and all of those things. If, if one of those two guys isn't healthy enough, well, then you do have to have a real serious conversation. Do you need to find an upgrade on number three? If Michael Hutchinson can continue to play the way he did against the Calgary Flames on Sunday, then again, for me, the goaltending isn't a big story. They're, they're still fixated on that six, seven spot up front. That, that, that's where Kyle Dubas is looking um, and throw any player you want. I mean, we've talked about uh, uh, Granlin out of Nashville, although, you know, it seems like David Boyle now is, is more dialed into what the Preds are doing in, in their postseason March. Uh, I'm watching the Vancouver Canucks. I know we're going to talk about that team shortly. Uh, I know there's ongoing discussions with Pearson's camp about a contract extension there. Um, varying degrees of optimism as to whether or not that's going to get done. If it doesn't, he's, he's healthier than what people are suggesting. So why wouldn't the Maple Leafs consider Tanner Pearson? Um, you know, uh, Kyle Palmieri was held out of the New Jersey Devils lineup for precautionary reasons. Why wouldn't the Maple Leafs have a conversation about that? So those are the type of players that I think Dubas is more dialing in on now at this point leading up to the trade deadline and if the asks are too rich or nothing materializes then i think he maybe looks at some of the other secondary pieces that he could add either to the blue line or potentially in goal go ahead frank 
I'm going to throw this at you. What if the Maple Leafs have already made their trade deadline acquisition? Alex Galchenyuk. I mean, yeah. it's about fit. That's yeah. what they're after. And it's about fit and flexibility. It's not necessarily about production. It's not necessarily about name value or who can we bring in to sell to everyone that we're in a position where we're all in. They're not going to go crazy if they think the price isn't right. And so the way Galchenyuk has played, he now has four points in eight games. How much more are you getting from a production standpoint on the open market? And what's it going to cost you to do it? I, I think that's a conversation that the Leafs have to be having at this point is, yeah. you know, and I can't even imagine that I'm saying this given what Galchenyuk has gone through in the last mm. two years, three years. But what if he's the guy that just fits well and they gave him some time to regroup and get his game in order that he just works? Well, and, and that's an excellent point. Um, and, and that might be what the Maple Leafs do. But just a quick interjection. I, I think Kyle is looking for a little bit of cost certainty here too, though, right? If he can get a player with some level of term, that doesn't have to be. But if he can, even a year or two, then that takes some of the heat off what happens with Zach Hyman in the near future, right? If you get that six seven guy, you're never replacing Zach Hyman if he decides – that he's going to the open market and he's going to sign a smoking deal with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, <laughs> Just lobbing that grenade out there. <laughs> but I mean, part of that is the thinking of, of management, I think of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you could be bang on. I mean, Galchenyuk fitting the way he appears to be on the short term, at least might be that. So I think if the Leafs, well, the Leafs could do more than one thing, which Kyle Dubas has borne everyone plenty of times over the last month. One thing I still think they're going to do, if, if you step back and look at almost everything they've done since they got knocked out by Columbus last summer in the play-in series, is they've gone the sandpaper route for a lot of their moves. Um, I think they felt they got pushed around and intimidated by Columbus on some level. I think that intangible was a factor in all the years they lost to Boston. So they added amazing experience in Simmons and Thornton and Bogosian, all elements that tie to each other. I think they're going to dip into that bucket one more time. And so I think if they add a forward, it's a guy that can play up and down their lineup, second, third line, but has some bite to his game. And so whether that's a guy like Scott Lawton, let's say, who's UFA in Philadelphia, who, who has a bit of edge to his game, um, that's the type of player I bet you that they add for Monday, which shouldn't come at a high cost. And I, I think that's why they liked Granlin. He can play wing, he can play center, guy works his bag off, and he gets some production. So, mm -hmm. you know, he can play anywhere on your lineup. And, and I think that's why they, they liked him. But again, it comes back to Nashville and you're saying, well, with this team in a playoff spot, you know, does having Mikhail Granlin there really make a difference in terms of your expectations in the playoffs? Yes or no. And then from a 30,000 foot view, if you're David Poyle, and, and this is, this has to be the conversation that the Preds brass is having at, at the highest level is, are we really not going to be improving our team for the future on the hopes that we what beat Tampa or Carolina or Florida, whoever finishes first in the division, they're mm -hmm. in a really tough spot. Well, the, the reason if I were them, and I think they're leading this way that I would keep echoing for now is not because they think they can beat those teams, Frank, but I think it's because I think they're starting to realize that Seattle has really tripped them up in a lot of their conversations with teams that have interest in echo that you're giving Nashville X and then you're turning around because now you've got a protection issue on defense and having to talk to Ron Francis about what it would take to, to not grab their fourth defenseman after they trade for Ekholm. And 
I think that the Predators have probably realized, I think, I could be wrong, you might get dealt today for all we know, but that if they wait until after the expansion draft and allow teams, in fact, not only trade for Ekholm, but maybe extend him as part of the deal in July, then I think they'll get a greater return then than they might now. Hey guys, the Montreal Canadiens, who we mentioned at Eric Stahl, third and a fifth earlier, do they have any more moves? Like, you know, how serious does Mark Bergman think? You know, the North is very tight. I think Montreal's pretty secure and they're likely going to finish in the four spot. So, you know, right now it looks like they might take on Toronto in the first round. Lots can change, of course, if one team gets hot or goes on a, uh, on a losing streak. But do you see Montreal making any other moves? Yeah, I asked that question. I had to ask it a couple times to Mark Bergman for a, an interview that just got posted today, Jason. And, uh, you know, sometimes you got to take it with a grain of salt what Mark Bergman says publicly about, about trades because he traded for Stahl the day after saying he wasn't going to do anything. Um, but I pressed him on the fact that he has no cap room and that it's going to make life a little difficult here soon whenever Armia is back from the COVID list to fully just return over the weekend. Um if and when they ever get to their full complement of players, which they're close to, and Eric Stahl is playing his first game, we think, tonight against Edmonton, uh, Cole Caulfield is going to be called up at some point this year. It doesn't all work. There's a cap issue in Montreal. So when push came to shove, I think what I got out of him in that interview is that, yeah, he's if there's a deal there where he could alleviate some of his cap issues, that's what he's going to look to do before Monday. And I suspect that he was – he was working on that the day he got Eric Stahl from Buffalo. I think there were a couple of things in the, in the fire and the other one sort of fell through, but I think that'll continue to be a, a point of emphasis for Montreal is needing a little more room under the cap to, to, to breathe. I mean, you mentioned need, what more does this team need? I think they're already a tough team to play against. You can see the way that they're playing under Dominic Ducharme. They're, you know, Mark Bersred mentioned it in your interview. Puck management has been better, mm-hmm. but more to the point, they're going to be a tough out. Like, I don't care who they match up against, whether they're in the fourth seat, the fourth spot or the second spot, they're going to be a really tough team to play against. And so I, I don't look at that roster and say, hey, there's a hole here that you need to fill or a hole here. They've got, you know, all they need at goal. Carrie Price is a 931 save percentage, by the way, since they took a, a, a step back and said, you need to get your game in order for a few days. And, you know, I, I don't see anywhere that you're going to upgrade mm. based on the guys that are available. No, I'm with you on that. And, and you know, some of their veteran players have, have come around, not just the goaltending and defensive core, but, you know, we were all watching uh, with keen interest in, in how Josh Anderson fit at the start of the year uh, and seemed to be a, a real nice compliment with Jonathan Drew and Nick Suzuki. And of late, you know, it's been Brendan Gallagher, Tom Tatar, and Phil Deneau. I mean, Phil Deneau for the first half of the season was effectively a no-show offensively, even though, guys, I mean, I think it was Nate McKinnon, you know, months ago said that he can't believe how good Deneau is and the credit that he doesn't get and all of that. And I still get that from, from coaches and managers and players around the game. Uh, so as long as those pieces continue to, to hold their spot in the puzzle, I, I'm with Frank in this. I'm curious to see... Uh, if Cole Caulfield can provide some spark, I think we need to manage expectation there as you would with any young player coming in. But if these guys hit that role, there isn't a whole lot not to like about the Montreal Canadiens. And I, uh, whatever series it is, I think that they could do some serious damage in the North Division. 
Well, and, and I've made this point all year about the Habs, not knowing whether they would make the playoffs, but that they were built more for the playoffs than the regular season, especially the way that's the regular season games have been played in the North Division this year. This is not the kind of division the Habs are built for, interestingly, right? right? There's a lot of freewheeling hockey against, you know, the two big monsters from Edmonton, the, the Leafs top end guys, the Jets are loaded up front. That's not really a friendly matchup for the Habs on a lot of nights. But get them into the playoffs where we know the standard of officiating changes and the Habs for them have taken a lot of penalties this year in the North Division, although less under Ducharme. They're built for the playoffs. And it's, again, going back to the Leafs for a second, I think when the Leafs looked at the possibility of playing Montreal in the first round, again, this is a thought process of, you know, is there enough grind in the Leafs game for that kind of series? Because that's, that's what the Habs are going to be about. They're five-on-five play, grinding you down wave after wave, uh, being able to have to kill off fewer penalties come to playoffs. That sets up well for Montreal having some success potentially, but obviously they'd be the underdog in a Leafs matchup. Yeah, you look at the Habs, they're five-on-five. No, one, no one's better at uh, allowing fewer goals five-on-five. They're only allowing 1.4 per game right now, which is best in the NHL in the high-scoring North Division. So uh, I think uh, you guys are right that they're going to be a good team defensively. Uh, quickly, let's go back where we started in Vancouver. Um, how much do you think this variant and the fact that they're not playing and might not be playing for the next week impacts Pearson and Sutter and any of their other potential UFAs? Because Vancouver is obviously not making the playoffs. Yeah, I know it definitely impacts, there's no question. And, you know, Jim Benning, the general manager, is juggling about 25 things right now, including, you know, trying to get uh, some off-ice work done. Uh, was very successful in locking Thatcher Demko down. As I said earlier, uh, I know that there's a fair bit of dialogue back and forth on Tanner Pearson. They'd like to keep Tanner Pearson in Vancouver. They view him as a glue guy. He can do a little bit of everything. Doesn't hurt that he's best friends with Bo Horvath. So they don't want to upset the, the chemistry in Vancouver, but they also have to be mindful of some of the other bigger pieces that they're going to have to address. Uh, and that's Elias Patterson and, and Quinn Hughes. They've only had preliminary conversation on extension with the two young guys. Uh, but I think that Pearson is their priority from their crop of unrestricted free agents. And if the phone rings on any of the other guys, then Benning is happy to listen. I would say, too, that I, I, I'm not totally comfortable yet writing off Calgary and Vancouver. And the only reason is Montreal, starting tonight, plays 20 games in 35 days. I mean, it's crazy. And they are going to have some nights where there's nothing in the tank. That's just that's just you know, logic and reality. So I think they've built enough of a buffer where it would take a pretty spectacular collapse for them not to make it. But I'm just saying this is a crazy five weeks now for the Montreal Canadiens, and there are going to be some – tough nights so all it takes for either Calgary or Vancouver Vancouver their schedule is going to be crazy too when they come back but I wouldn't I'm not ready yet to uh, put a final line on that fourth playoff spot myself all right well hey let's get into uh, buy or sell now with the uh, producer Ty before we wrap things up Ty Yes, Jason, as always, buy or sell is brought to you by Jock Market. Stay in the game, jockmkt.com. Jock Market is a hybrid between fantasy sports and the stock market. And if you use the promo code DFO20, you get a $20 deposit bonus. We're going to go down to the States for all four of our buy or sell questions. And we're going to start with Kyle Palmieri, who sounds like he's going to be on the move. I'm going to say Kyle Palmieri is going to the New York Islanders. And I'll start with you, Frank. You buying or selling on that? 
I'm buying. Uh, I think he makes the most sense there. He seems to be exactly what they need in terms of fit stylistically replacing Anders Lee. Um, you know, it just seems like a, a stealth Lou Lamorello move uh, trading with the New Jersey Devils. Doesn't have to go very far. Uh, could probably even still live in the same house if he wanted to. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think uh, that one makes a lot of sense. So I'll buy that one. Yeah, Jason. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Pierre. Well, I was going to say, I'm buying that too, because as, as Frank says, uh, you know, Lamorello recently, I talked to him for a piece and he described the kind of player that he feel could fit into their room. <laughs> and I remember texting uh, Frank and Dregs about it. And I said, there's only a few guys that if you, if you take what Lou says, that fits into this, this quote. And he talked about the, you know, leadership and, and obviously trying to replace Andrews Lee and all these different things. There's not a lot of guys that fit in there. I, I, Paul Mary or Nick Foligno were basically the only two guys I came up with, although there could be a few other guys. But for that reason, I think it makes sense for sure. All right. Well, I'm going to be different because there's no sense all three insiders agreeing and, and buying. I mean, the Islanders make a ton of sense. I feel like the Boston Bruins need to be in that consideration as well. Ah. Uh, and and Boston is a team that just needs – they need help up front. They do. I mean, they, they just rely so heavily – on the big line uh, that any level of depth that they can bring to, to spark the, the others is going to be much needed. So just to be different, not saying this is inside information, but I feel like it would, if it's not the Islanders, then perhaps Boston. Well, uh, I, the interesting thing about this is everybody knows that the Islanders clearly need a winger with Anders Lee out. So I, I wonder if that puts Lou in any sort of position of weakness. However, you have Paul Mary, you have Hall, you have Felino. Now they're all different levels of skill set and in different styles that they play. Uh, I'm going to sell only because I I think that uh, Lamarillo is going to uh, wait because he feels you know what I can get one of those three and I think at different levels they can help me and uh, I don't think he'll jump the gun because Pierre alluded earlier that the price for stall was higher now it might be lower in a week so I will sell only because uh, Lou is going to keep his powder dry as long as he can and hope to play off the other guys to get a, a lower deal. Well, and Lamorello has levers that no one else has. $7 million burning in his back pocket in cap space. No one has that. Number two, Jonathan Bernier is the only goaltender in the top 10 on the TSN trade bait board, but I will say he is not the only goaltender traded before the deadline. I'll start with you, Darren. Buying or selling on that? Uh, I'll buy it. Why not? Um, you know, you look around the the league and the teams that, you know, are going to need some help in that position, right? Um, Washington comes to mind. Is Colorado done there? Probably not. You know, we talked earlier in the podcast about the Toronto Maple Leafs of things, you know, turn more ugly with health, uh, with Jack Campbell and or Freddie Anderson. Do they consider, you know, adding some depth? So, you know, Jonathan Bernier, number one, needs to get healthy, and he's trending in that direction. Then I look at Carolina and the fact that they've got that three goalie situation there. So there'll, there'll be a market for goalies. I don't know how significant it's going to be, but I've named a couple of teams. So there's got to be more than Jonathan Bernier that gets moved. So I'll buy it. Yeah, I'm buying too. Uh, you can add Dubnik to that list of guys that might right. move pending UFA and uh, the Sharks are going to move on from him and, and they're going to look to upgrade. Martin Jones has played better for them recently, but I think they're going to try and do a 1A, 1B thing in the offseason there. So I think Dubnik moves, Bernier moves, David Riddich potentially moves. 
I think Carolina ends up hanging on to the three goalie situation, even though they don't love it, because I think with all the injuries they had in goal a year ago, not bad to have depth there. I'm going to sell. Uh, I know the one name we didn't mention who's also on the trade bait board is Chris Dreger. You know, right. I think, um, you know, Colorado Grubauer's played so well. They're really only looking for a second piece. How much are they going to spend to get it? And then, you know, Washington, their two guys have played so well and they've still got, I know we talked about this last week, Henrik Lundqvist. He was supposed to be, you know, taking high shots this weekend, seeing if he can test his, uh, his body to come back. So he might be a perfect fit as an insurance piece for Washington. I'm going to say that maybe Bernier is the only guy that moves. Hmm. No, I, I think this is an easy buy. Um, just for all the reasons uh, Pierre and Dregs uh, outlined, there's, there's a lots of teams that need it. And if, if you, if you go the whole season and you don't have depth and goaltending at one injury and that costs you the playoffs, like look at Colorado last year and it, Colorado probably goes deeper if they don't have the goaltending injuries that they had. So I, I think, man, I honestly wouldn't be stunned if Colorado adds two goalies only mm. because Grubauer's health issue. Like, I know that's the craziest thing ever you think of, but if the cost is like a late sixth or seventh for another guy, I could see them ensuring that their number two and number three are good. It, it would be mind blowing to me if the avalanche does not add a goalie. Yeah. Like they just lived it in the bubble. Uh, you know, they are, they are arguably the number one Stanley Cup contender. Now, I know it's a flip of a coin with Vegas, but in their division, how can you allow the possibility that one groin injury to fill a Grubauer ends your cup dream? I mean, you have got to go out and get another goalie, in my mind. We're going to end this with a couple of quick over-unders. Looking at the Arizona Coyotes, I see Alex Goligoski is on the trade bait board. I think they could be busy. I'm going to say over two and a half trades for the Coyotes between now and deadline day. And I'll flip the order this time. Start with you, Gregor. Oof, well, they're right in the mix. They're in so, the fourth spot. Yeah, like that's a race with them, the Blues, and suddenly the San Jose Sharks. So... You know, I'm going to say I'm going to buy because I think they could sell and acquire at the same time. I could see them moving one piece and then bringing in another guy. So they stay uh, in the hunt. I think they're, I think their GM is very uh, focused on wanting to get his team in the playoffs. So I don't see them selling off, but I could see them trading one piece and then adding another. So yeah, I'll say that they're busy and they make three deals. I'm going to go with the under. Um, I, you know, I just think, Maybe you have Goligoski that moves because there's zero chance he comes back. I think they hang on to their goalies. I think there's been some interest in Jalmerson. I still don't understand for the life of me why they'd want to move Connor Garland. So I'm going to take the under. Um, I'll go under as well, um, only because of how difficult it is uh, to, to make these deals. Uh, now, I, I think that there's a strong appetite from Bill Armstrong's perspective to change the look of this team, even though of late, um, largely they've, they've played well, Jason, as you say, they're, they're in the mix. So I, I think that he's going to respect that and keep it competitive and all those things. But I think that there's going to be some significant changes that are embraced in the off season. I, I just don't think that Armstrong, you know, three trades is a lot for one team, you know, prior to any trade deadline or at the trade deadline unless you're in full fire sale mode. And we know the Coyotes aren't in that, but there's a definite appetite to change some of the pieces. I think that's more off-season work. So I'll go against the board and I'll take the over without any real confidence. But the point I want to make is I can't think of a single team in the National Hockey League right now that is 
having a bigger disservice done to them by being in the on the bubble and being in the playoff race than Arizona because the short-term excitement or allure of getting in, which I'm sure ownership's all over, really should take a back seat to the bigger picture here, which is a team that is devoid of top draft picks because of what happened with the, the cheating and the drafting and all that. They need draft picks. The bigger picture should be trumping what's happening in the standings right now. And you should be trying to get everyone out that you can to get draft picks before Monday. Easier said than done. I get that because I'm sure there's pressure on the inside to try and do both, which is, which is let's make the playoffs and make changes. Well, okay. But I think there's a lot of counterintuitive emotions going on right now in Arizona. Last one, Darren, you mentioned full fire sale. That might be what's happening in Buffalo. I see three names on the trade bait board. So I will set the over under at three and a half and take the over Darren over under three and a half trades for the Sabres. Well, well, you're not counting Eric Stahl. (laughs) So Uh, are you? (laughs) No, no. (laughs) Okay. Um, over three and a half. Now nah, I'm going to say under, okay. I'm going to say under, I, I mean, of course it's possible. I mean, where do you start? Where does it end with the Buffalo Sabres? I mean, come on. Um, Taylor Hall will get traded. Uh, the pieces that teams are most calling on are Ristolainen, um, Sam, Sam Reinhardt. Uh, you know, obviously they call on Rasmus Dolly and they call on Linus Olmark. I mean, but those are the pieces that foundationally Kevin Adams and the Buffalo Sabres are going to want to hold on to unless somebody overpays. I, I could, I could see that happening with Bristol Lining. I could see that happening to Sam Reinhardt, at least make it really, really difficult for Kevin Adams to say no, but he still has to put a hockey team together. He's had so many off ice issues to deal with. Um, he's got the uncertainty of his captain, both health and future and all of that. So Above three and a half is a pretty big number for me. He'll be busy. I just, I, I don't think he's going to trade four players. I'm going to take the under as well. Um, so I'm trying to count them out. So you've got Hall. I think there's some interest in Colin Miller, who would make sense if they could make the money work and retain half. And Brandon Montour is another guy. I mean, these are three pending UFAs that, you know, I don't see any reason why, you'd, you know, you'd hang on to these guys if you don't need to. But beyond that, for all the reasons Dregs mentioned, I, I just, you know, I don't know that you're moving a foundational piece right now. And I got to tell you, I know Dregs that it makes sense that Hall would definitely move because of who he is and where he is on our board. And wouldn't it be something if he doesn't? I've I, I just, how many teams can take him at even half the salary right now at $4 million? We just talked about the landscape in general of maybe only having six or seven teams that are buying to begin with. I agree that he's probably going to move. I just think what a story would be if we're explaining Monday at three Eastern that Taylor Hall didn't move for reasons that aren't his fault. I, I just, he's got a big cap number. There's not that many teams buying not that many teams that need a first line winger. So I, I don't know. I, that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Again, I think he'll move, but I don't know if I'm ready to say it's a slam dunk. I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if he doesn't get traded. All right. I feel a side bet coming. I got to get odds in my favor, though. Because <laughs> I'm the long shot here. Guys, because I think um, when you're in full, full fire sale mode, you got two guys that are 
dirt cheap Riley Shahan teams always look for a depth centerman at times, just in case of an injury or what have you. He's like mm-hmm. league minimum. I would add him Frank to your list of guys. So that's why I put it over four. I think you know, Shahan's being around, you know, exactly what he is. He'll kill penalties. He can win faceoffs. He's not a fastest guy, but in the playoffs speed, you know, you guys talked about it earlier in Montreal. We, we focus so much on speed in the regular season come playoff time. It's, it's, it's so much more of a grinding out game for a lot of guys. And, you know, I look at Edmonton's line in the playoffs last year, arguably their best line was Kara chase on a Neil five on five, because it was just muck and grinded and you yeah, cycle mm-hmm. for long stretches and, and Shahan can help a team do that. And he costs you nothing. And I think Buffalo at this point will try to get anything for any extending UFAs. Yeah. I'll take the over, even though I made that crazy comment about Hall, but I hope Kevin Adams tries to spread some of these out. He's a rookie GM with a very thin front office, doesn't have a lot of help. And I don't know that he wants to be handling four deals on Monday uh, with all those phone calls and paperwork and central registry. I know it sounds like a dumb thing to say, but probably best for him to get the ball rolling here during the week and try to spread these out. Yeah. All right, there you go. That's another edition of Buy or Sell brought to you by Jock Market. Check them out, jockmkt.com. Thanks, Ty. Uh, hey, guys, before I let you go, give me, is there any any teams that we didn't touch on? You know, Dregs, you talk Boston a little bit, uh, the Washington Capitals. You know, you look at some of those teams, uh, Florida Panthers, Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, quickly, any of those teams that you expect to make a splash? Mm, that's a good question. Uh, I guess I'm kind of answering in that fashion. Uh, by making a splash, uh, maybe Philadelphia. Right, you know, Pierre alluded to uh, to the the Scott uh, Lawton speculation, which really is all it is. Uh, you know, he's a pending unrestricted free agent. If Carter Hart can continue to play the way that he did the other night, then maybe they feel that things will stabilize in Philadelphia. Um, but I think that this has been an eye-opening experience for Chuck Fletcher in what he has, but most importantly, what he doesn't have. Uh, the goaltending is going to have to look after itself. Otherwise, that's a way bigger fish, and he's going to have to wrestle with that in the offseason. But just given the pieces that the Philadelphia Flyers have um, and the potential of a, of a kid like Scott Lawton legitimately being in play, that's intriguing to me. Um, and we touched a little bit on, on Anaheim. Like, Bob Murray is just sitting in the weeds, right? Like, I, I watched that Anaheim Ducks team play. They've got some interesting young players coming, but right now they're not very good. And they're not going to get good anytime soon. So I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if, if Bob Murray lobs a, a name or two into the mix that might catch our attention. I, I think Bob Murray would like to, Dregs. I, I think he picked the worst. It's not his fault, but he, he picked the worst season ever not to have rentals for sale because yeah. the team, so many buyers that are concerned about the Seattle expansion draft that are way more focused on expiring deals than a normal year. You know, the last few years we saw the new trend of the guy to get is the guy with two playoffs in him, right? A year and a half left on his contract. Now there's teams that are a little worried about what that does to their protection list, uh, which I think is a bit of a overthinking thing. If you've got a chance to win, worry about that in the off season. But, but I think that's hurt Anaheim dregs to like, you know, Raquel, Ricard Raquel is the big name that he would have to sell potentially if the offer was right, but he's got a year and a half left on his deal. Right. And so how many teams, if you're, if you're trading for Ricard Raquel, you're protecting him in, in the expansion draft. Right. So who you're not protecting. So I think that's had an impact on, on Adam's yep. dealings. Uh, the team I would pick uh, as maybe a fireworks team 
uh, is the Boston Bruins uh, because they haven't done anything. Um, you know, they've got a pretty young left side of their defense that's done well, but they actually do have the cap room. And I think at the end of the day, there's that internal pressure of giving Patrice Bergeron all he can get in terms of a chance to win again um, in the final window of his career here, whether it's that a year or two years or whatever. So I think Boston might make a few moves. Uh, two teams on my list, and, and I'm shocked, Pierre, that you didn't say one of them, the Carolina Hurricanes, right shot defensemen, <laughs> and they they want someone that's has term as a hockey deal. They're willing to shake it up, and people look at their defense core as deep as it is, and they say, what, what more do you want to add here? But they're looking for someone in their top four, and I, I think they're going to try and go after someone and get it. And the other team that no one has said anything about, and for good reason when you look at their cap situation, but another team lying in the weeds, I think, is the Vegas Golden Knights. I think they're always, always looking to do something. Now, whether they could pull it off and have a third-party team involved to make the money work, and if they could shuffle their deck a little bit to add some center depth, I think would make sense. But mm-hmm. they're, cap- they're as capped out as anyone, and, and you saw it the other night. Uh, you know, they were at the minimums of players you could ice because of their cap situation. So uh, it'd be tough, but I'm not so sure that Vegas does nothing. No, that's a good one. Uh, You're right. I mean, the three scenarios are dollar in, dollar out, LTI, or you use a broker. Um, And Kelly McCrimmon is, uh, he's a creative dude. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's tire kicking. I mean, the need for me in, in Vegas would be depth at center. Right. So um, maybe one of those pieces does come available and he finds a way to make it work. There are teams out there that we know that are willing to be that third party. So uh, if, uh, if they're letting us know, then chances are they've talked to all the general managers of the cap strap team to let them know as well. Chicago, San Jose and right. Detroit, I think are the three teams that are willing to take money and, and broker a deal. I was just going to mention San Jose in that vein, although now they're in a playoff race. Well, if you're going to mention Vegas, by the way, if we wrap this up, you got to mention Tampa Bay in the same sphere of Julian Breesbo, both to myself and to other media, has said repeatedly over the last month, I have no cap room. I can't do anything at the deadline. My, my trade deadline acquisition will be Nikita Kucherov at some point when he comes back in the playoffs. And I get that. But again, this is the same GM that publicly said 16 months ago that he wow. probably wasn't going to do much of deadline and went out and spent huge on, uh, on Goudreau and Coleman. And I don't know if he wins the cup without those moves. So it, 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 they really are no team has less cap space. I think than, than Tampa, it really will have to be creative, but I wouldn't sleep at least on a depth D acquisition, maybe for Tampa. Guys, thanks so much. Uh, yes or no answer. Any chance Ryan Getzlaff? You guys talked about Bob Murray. I know he's got a. I think he's got a higher cap hit than Taylor Hall, actually, by about two hundred fifty grand. But uh, he's a pen in UFA. He's a big time center. He's won a Stanley Cup. Any chance he gets moved? You guys think, or like a realistic shot? No, not no. for me. No, no chance. Maybe off season, but not right now. Uh, I asked that question then, uh, to Bob Murray in a piece recently, and it, a lot a lot could have changed since then. But his answer at the time was that his last conversation with Ryan Getzlaff was that Ryan Getzlaff was happy to finish the year at Anaheim, and they would probably actually look to bring him back on a cheaper deal. Um, you know, he means a lot to that franchise. Yeah, I'm going to say no, and I'm going to throw this at you. I wouldn't be totally shocked if Ryan Getzlaff retires after this season. Wow. Oh, geez. Just hey, you be careful old. with retirement stories, man. Why? Because oh. I look like I'm old? What? what like? <laughs> oh. 
I just, Bob McKenzie told me this a long time ago and I learned a valuable lesson. The agent for Scott Niedermeyer told me he was retiring from the Anaheim Ducks. I remember and this. You remember this? Yeah. Not live on television. I report, hey, just got news that uh, after this year, Scott Niedermeyer is going to retire. What we weren't counting on was Brian Burke getting on his knees and begging Scott Niedermeyer not to retire, which mm -hmm. he didn't retire. So Bobby Mack said, uh, reporting death and retirements are the two things as insiders we stay away from. <laughs> well, I totally get it. Here's where I'm at. Ryan Getzlaff and I have, you know, no inside knowledge here. He's made $92 million. He's been in Anaheim Duck his entire career. He's already won a Stanley Cup. That team has very little chance to compete next season. So he's going to either uproot his family and go somewhere else to try and chase a cup. And especially if COVID's lingering, like what's Joe the incentive to do so? Thornton. I'm just oh, oh. okay. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out there. It's not outside of the realm of possibility. That's all. No, you or said he was or, retiring. No, I said I wouldn't be shocked if he did. <laughs> or, or, or he might like the opportunity to come back in a cheaper deal and help all those kids like Zegers and, and everyone else Maybe. coming there in Anaheim. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? That's a good Maybe final. Maybe goes to Alberta where his wife's from. <laughs> Never know. Never yeah. know. Guys, thanks so much for this. We appreciate it. Uh, try to get some sleep this week. All right, fellas. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Right on, right on. Thanks for listening to the DFO Rundown with Saravali and Gregor. Keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special coming your way this playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. And let me tell you, it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal. Every playoff game day, you're going to be faced with four questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle. And here's a sneak peek into some of those questions we'll be firing your way. First up, you got to pick the winning team. That sounds simple, right? 
but there's more. You got to decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's going to find the back of the net first, and you're going to want to be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on in the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? For the daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards to treat yourself to some fresh nation gear, and you might even win a jersey from your favorite team. And for the big dogs, those who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge. Play now at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess.